This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, indeed. Good morning. And I am joined by our friend Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Hi, Julie. Hey, Denny. How you doing? I'm doing quite well. Right. Thank you. Nice day. And look, it's did you sunny. see what's happening out there? Kind of be quiet. What is that golden orb? I might go away if I talk too much about it. The sun is out Beautiful. in downtown Minneapolis, and it's 27 degrees, Woo-hoo. heading for 37 yeah. today. I don't think we'll see our lawns yet. No, but, it'll be a uh, balmy weekend, though. Yeah, it really will be. But this isn't so bad for our shrubs and plants, right? I mean, there's snow cover. Yeah, we were just saying, Carl and I were just talking yesterday, and we said we could take a winter like this. This is yeah. pretty good. So. Compared to last year at this time? Oh, yeah, last year. What wow. was it? Minus 30? 30, yeah, absolutely. And we got dumped on with, what, four feet of snow in February or something? And then like uh, of some of us lost long-term uh, right, shrubs. Right, Yeah, plants that, boy, had been tried and true, and they bit the dust last year. If you have any kind of a law and a garden question for Julie, you can call it in or text it in. The same number applies, 651-989-9226. I was thinking, <laughs> I, I got to ask Julie a question. Then I thought, wait a minute, you had a little bit of trouble with a Meyer lemon tree. <laughs> yes, I did. So I thought, <laughs> but go ahead. All right. No, whatever. I was wondering, because I'm noticing ours, which is has some big lemons nice on it. Nice job. Uh, however... Some leaves are falling. Oh yeah. And I thought, is it too much or too little watering? Is it? Could it be either? Ah, uh, well, if the leaves are if the leaves are yellowing and falling off, uh, but if you're just losing them, sometimes it's just a change in the environment. It might yeah. be there might be a draft. There might be you know something that you're not detecting. It could be too that the leaves are just old and they're just okay. dropping their older leaves. So As I recall there. Two or three on the floor this morning that were kind of yellow. <laughs> they smell good though if you crush them up. Oh yeah, I haven't tried that. Mm, very nice. Well, I thought I, I could ask Julie. Yeah, but then again, I remember your well, story. Well, and 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 plants, you know, plants lose their leaves. I mean, that's just part of their aging or the yeah. aging of the leaves, I should say. So, and they do replenish with as long as they keep putting out new growth. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, the the uh, uh, lemons look good. Nice. All right. Texter says, good morning. I live in the Brainerd Lakes area. Poor sandy soil is the norm. A few years ago, I started to undertake improving the soil profile of my lawn with more natural fertilizers and less synthetics. I follow a few YouTubers for lawn care. Many are pushing humic acid and something else I can't pronounce. Uh, What is that? What What is your opinion on those lawn products? Oh boy! If you have uh, it, let's see. Well, the humic acid—I I can't really speak to that. Um, the first thing, whenever you're going to improve your lawn, is number one is to get a soil test done, and uh, that will give you a lot of information. Plus, it give the soil test laboratory gives you recommendations on the fertilizer to use. And so, uh, uh, I hope that this person has done that, and that this is what uh, they've gotten or what they've decided to do. But. Um, uh, that's the number one thing. So without a soil test, you're kind of just guessing at that point. Um, so the biochar is a uh, a byproduct of uh, a wood 
it's a it's a wood product and it's a it's a byproduct of a pro, of something called pyrolysis and pyrolysis is a non it's an anaerobic process no air is involved it's not like having a bonfire or something that uh, extracts oil from uh, from biomass and that oil can be used for biofuel and the leftover is the carbon from the plant in this case a wood probably a wood product, but it might also be a grass, switchgrass or sorghum or something like that. And that char is uh, pure carbon, and uh, some people feel that it helps improve uh, soils, helps to lighten soils, uh, create more porosity in the soil. It, there's a lot of back and forth about it. We did. I was on a four-year grant, a uh, multi-state grant, a number of years ago. And we uh, we tried met some master gardeners and I uh, tried biochar as a soil amendment in a typical home garden. So we had uh, three sites around the state, and one of them was sandy, like this person's uh, soil. It was up in uh, Andover, and we found that uh, it helped to relieve compaction and make it easier to plant in clay soil, clay loam, uh, and then also it did improve a little bit the uh, the organic matter in sandy soil. So, uh, but there's a lot of back and forth. A lot of people uh, feel it works. The one thing about biochar that you have to realize is it has a very long half-life, and it's a product that you add maybe once in your lifetime to your soil. You don't add it every year like you do uh, compost, or you end up with a very high-carbon soil ultimately. And there's nothing to do about that. You can't change that. Uh, I, I, I hope that this person would be also adding some compost, uh, maybe some good composted manure uh, in with the biochar to balance the carbon-nitrogen ratio. All right. So there's my long answer. There you go. Uh, also, the other thing to think about, too, is, is to aerate your soil, which we talk about a lot. That's a good fall thing to do. And we recommend fall because you have less... Uh, less weed pressure from weed seeds germinating in the fall in versus spring when they would germinate like crazy once they're exposed to the light. So um, so that might be something to do too. And then you could top dress with a nice um, mixture of seed and then also the compost and to help relieve compaction and improve rooting. Yeah, that aeration really works, really helps. Yeah, it really helps. And we have, you know, we have clay soil in a lot of Minnesota, not this person uh, up in Brainerd but um, and it's it gets very compacted and and it's like uh, you just want to relieve that and that's what aeration does let's go to the phones Julie uh, Jim is calling from New, New Germany I believe Jim you're on with Julie yes I have a uh, two citrus trees one orange and one lime and my lime my orange tree is full of fruit and full of flowers and my lime tree is full of flowers, but it won't hold fruit. What could be the issues with that? I think when uh, my experience with uh, citrus trees when they're, or any plant that's not holding on to fruit is that it, it could be a watering, uh, maybe not enough water. It could also be a nutritional uh, thing. The other thing, too, is that plants sometimes can only support so much fruit. And they end up dropping it. We see that in apples. Certain apple trees, will we call it self-prune, where you get a, a bunch of little apples growing out of one point, one growing point, and the tree just can't support all that. And so it naturally will 
will self prune, and that may be what your lime tree is doing, because a lime tree is a really truly an outdoor tree, and you bring it in and you're growing it indoors. It may just have trouble supporting fruiting. Uh, plants will partition energy for different functions, such as root growth or leaf establishment. And fruiting, flowering and fruiting takes a huge amount of that energy. And when a plant is growing in a container, it just only can get so much energy. And and more fertilizer isn't necessarily the answer. It's just the nature of growing an outdoor plant indoors. And that can just be stressful for the plant. So it feels like, oh, you know, if you want to personify the plant, it says, heck, I can't hang on to all this fruit. I need the energy for my leaves or my stems. And it will drop the fruit. So you have to value whatever fruit you can get okay. from an indoor tree. So I hope that's a decent explanation. Thanks, Julie. Uh, we have to take a quick break here. Uh, thank you, Jim. Monette, you're going to be next, so hang on the line. If you have a question, you want to call it in or text it in. The same number, 651-989-9226. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We're around every Saturday here on CCU on the 8 o'clock hour. Welcoming your questions, either by phone or by text, same number, Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Uh, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is uh, helping you out today. On a sunny, sunny yeah. Saturday. How long has it been since we've like been able to say that? Days or something, or long forty days, forty longer? nights. Same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't remember. But if you do have a question, call it in or text. And a lot of folks, as you know, Julie, will wait till maybe the last ten minutes, and then we run out of time. Would you? Know? Yeah. So yeah. call it in, text call it in, in right text now. It in. We promise, Manette. Would be first up yes. here after the break. Manette uh, calling in from uh, Minneapolis. Go ahead, Manette. Hi, I am calling about a little Annie hydrangea. It's one of the white dwarf hydrangeas. Okay. And it's been a, we've had it for about three years, and the rabbits are eating it over the winter. All so right. So it's they're chewing down the stems to the the snow depths, right? Sure. So snow where we're at probably a foot. Yeah, um, and normally I think it's all new wood. It might be a little of new and old wood, but there's no old wood, um, and so I know that I would normally trim it in the spring to bring the new growth. So if they're chewing it this early, is that going to impact the plant um, negatively, or will it just continue to produce new wood? Okay, so does this does this plant grow on new growth from the spring? Does it bloom on that? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the the wood that they're eating now is old wood, considered old wood. It's it's last year's growth. So if it doesn't bloom on that, um, that will be okay, because okay. Uh, you'll end up cutting it down to the ground anyway, and then it will put up new shoots, and that's where the blooms will be. So that's uh, that's okay. But I would really recommend any any time you've got rabbit issues in on any shrub is to fence that plant in the in the fall. To put a nice row, I I like to use hardware cloth because the the openings are really small, and um, and you can just just make a loop of that the size of the plant and just push it you know dig it down into the ground a few inches so that they can't crawl underneath it and put that up in the fall before the snow comes, uh, and then then that will alleviate that. It is a little stressful on the plant to have animals keep chewing on it, keep browsing. And so I would fence anything that uh, you've got uh, animals browsing on, including that plant, even though you'll end up cutting it down. But um, it just kind of, you know, maybe eliminate, if you eliminate the food sources, the animals will go somewhere else to eat. So um, that's always a benefit. Yep. 
Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And the line is open if you want to call in your question for Julie. 651-989-9226. Texter says this, how do I really keep a poinsettia plant? My biology teacher in high school <laughs> said you put it in a closet for part of the year. Yeah, and I'm going to refer you to our extension site for this question because we have an excellent publication on poinsettia care, and it explains all of that. Uh, and uh, and I think um, these are photoperiod plants that require darkness to have the bracts, which we call the petals, quote-unquote, air quotes. Um, those are called bracts. They're actually modified leaves. And that's what turns red. But you are cor- your biology teacher is correct, and I'm going to refer you to that uh, publication. It's on extension.umn.edu, and uh, go to Yard and Garden and click on uh, House Plants, and you'll find poinsettias there, and it will explain uh, more about caring for the poinsettias. There is so much information you guys, you and your colleagues, yeah. have put together on that. Yeah. Yeah, it gets better all the time. We I mean, keep adding things. It's huge. And yeah, yep. There's a lot of, speaking of animal browsing, we've got some good um, uh, web pages about protecting plants from deer and other animals under the trees and shrubs section. So if you want to see how to fence it, if you want to understand more about how they act and browse and kind of some tips, that's a good place to go under trees and shrubs. We will remind you of that uh, before Julie takes her leave today. Uh, Texas says, I have boxwoods. I planted around our pool area with rocks in the landscaping. I lost about half of each plant due to the harsh winter oh, last yes. year. Yep. I trimmed them back, have not removed them. Will they come back is the question. If I replace them, should I replace them with something different, or was the winter burn uh, an anomaly? Well, it was, it was, a, tough, a, bad it was a very tough year. Uh, we started the year out with a mild winter, and about halfway through January, the bottom dropped out, and we went to sub-zero temperatures. And then in February, we got uh, loaded with snow, and we had no snow really up until February. So we had frigid cold weather, no insulation from snow, and that really did a number on a lot of really tried and true plants. And I think with the broadleaf evergreens, uh, the important thing to look at is whether they those branches put out new buds. You'll see bright green little buds along that branch. That indicates the branch is still alive. You can also just take your fingernail or a little tiny blade and scratch that, uh, scratch the branching part that was di- uh, had died, and see if it's green underneath it. That will tell you if it's living tissue. If it's not, you can try pruning it. I don't know how did yours turn out. Did you? You had boxwood damage last year, I think. Yeah, and I uh, unfortunately one, uh, and they were probably fifteen, eighteen years old. And oh, okay. They, the, so and one, I'll have to check out this one, but the one totally died. Yeah. And uh, this one may be. Have a little growth on it. We'll right, check, right. but I'm I'm not gonna hold my breath. Yeah, I think um, if you don't see any, if you didn't see any growth last year on uh, this, the texter's question. If you didn't see any growth last year, it's not gonna come back yeah. this year. You, that's kind of it. And they're so slow growing. They're very slow growing. Yeah, and and I would recommend. I think that you always have to consider winter damage on any broadleaf evergreens and also any evergreens actually because they're all susceptible to it. Um, you may want to mix in some different plants with it. So rather than have a whole hedge of the same is to mix in some other plants that um, are maybe deciduous. And uh, and they might actually offer you, first of all, some bloom to go along with some evergreen. You could still try some of the uh, boxwoods. And I would talk with your local garden center, the super knowledgeable people here in Minnesota at our centers, and ask them about maybe there's a new variety that, that might be a proven tougher. I don't know, but um, 
that's what I would do. I like to mix up plants. I like to mix deciduous and evergreen together. I think it looks a little bit more natural. Uh, you get some more variety. You get blooms. You get uh, nice winter foliage. So I'd say mix it up. That's a good idea. Yeah. And then the deer come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the other Not side of the it. coin. All right, let's go back to the phones, Julie. Larry in Bloomington. Hi, Larry. What's your question? I have a problem with my Christmas cactus. Okay. It had the floor blooms in late November. They died, but another bud came up, kind of bloom. Sure. It died, but another bloom came up. Right now I had two blooms, and I got four buds at different stages. Okay. Well, oh, go ahead. What? How can I keep having more blooms at one time? Well, these plants will bloom uh, primarily. They're, they're called a photoperiod plant. We have a great publication on our website also about this if you want to read more about it. But Christmas cacti are uh, photoperiod plants, meaning that they respond to shorter days and cooler temperatures. So as our days uh, get shorter, the lessening light uh, prompts the plant to put out buds. Usually what affects budding or slows it down or diminishes it is too much heat uh, in our houses. So uh, you could try moving the plant to a little bit cooler location in your house. That uh, That might provide more blooms. It sounds like the plant is healthy enough to be putting out blooms, um, but it maybe needs to be in a little cooler location. So I would try that. Uh, the other thing to remember is that these are these are house plants, and that uh, sometimes because of our houses and the way our houses are built and the heating system, we do the best we can. But in some cases, it just you know that's the best it's going to bloom at that point. Um, the other uh, thing you could try is be sure that you're not overwatering the plant and that the plant is draining well. So put it into the sink, water it, and let it drain well. So make sure your pot has a hole in the bottom. Uh, nothing kills a Christmas cactus faster than overwatering. It causes root rot, which is a loss of roots. And, of course, without healthy roots, the plant isn't going to be able to bloom very well or survive. So make sure it's draining well. Don't keep it too wet. Let it dry out between waterings and try moving it into a cooler location. All right, Larry, thank you see if for that the helps. call. We have a ton of text messages. Let's see if we can uh, dig in right now. Texas says, I'd like to divide and propagate some astilbe this spring. I've heard it can be challenging. Can you share the best approach? Oh, boy, you got me on that one. I don't, I've never uh, propagated astilbe. I think, I mean, if I've got some astilbe in my yard called Rhythm and Blues, great kind of a nice medium pink color, I would, uh, I think the challenge is once they're divided is to keep them, uh, they, they like well-drained conditions, uh, they like their roots to be cooler, uh, so I think keeping them, getting them into the right location and making mm-hmm. sure you have well-drained soil and, uh, and keeping an eye on them as the little plants reestablish. Um, if anybody is uh, still be divider or has done it, you know, successfully, you know, maybe you want to text in or call in, that would be uh, helpful. And um, and then I would also put a little bit of leaf mulch around the base of the plant to help keep the roots cool and also hold in a little bit of moisture. You don't want them to be wet, but you want them to be moist while they're uh, kind of reestablishing their root system. Do it in the spring, too, before they get too big. 
I know we have to take a break, Julie, but maybe here in a few seconds uh, we could uh, invite people. Hey, it's February. Get to the Arboretum. I wonder what's oh, going yeah, on there this the month. the flower show oh. opens this weekend. Oh, I'm glad I brought that, that up. my calendar. So that's, <laughs> yeah, I thought, you, I thought you were adding to that. No, no, it's, it's beautiful. I saw some uh, preview pictures um, on Alan Branigan's, uh, Bran Hoggins' um, uh, Facebook page. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's tremendous. Is they, it going on all month then? Is it's that, going on all month, okay. yes, all February. All right. We'll tell you how to get there uh, before Julie leaves us today. And we're back at it. It's a Smart Garden Show every Saturday here on CCO in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your questions via phone or text. Same number, 651-989-9226. If you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn's in from the U of M, helping you out. Yes. And as you can see, we have about 6 million text messages <laughs> or so. Let's see uh, how many we can get through. People are texting away. Uh, is it time, Texter says, to lightly fertilize indoor houseplants? Mm, good question. So uh, if you see active growth on your houseplants, that's a good time to lightly fertilize those plants. I like that description. Uh, We recommend in our houseplant uh, care is to use a half-strength fertilizer solution. So if it says one teaspoon per gallon, put in half a teaspoon per gallon, and uh, a gallon of water, and... uh, and use that about every couple of weeks or every say every other time that you that you water. Uh, be careful about watering too because you really want to feel the soil and determine if the plant has dried out sufficiently before you water it and make sure that your plants drain well. Okay. Those are really important things. There's another watering text. Uh, it's a uh, We get a lot of citrus questions today. <laughs> uh, this is about a lemon tree, two feet tall, full of blossoms. Nice. How often should I water it? Uh, when the soil is dry. So you want to literally feel that soil. Um, and uh, so I would just poke your fingers in it, stick your hand down in that pot and, and feel how that soil is. And if it's dry, then you could go ahead and water it. Um, and uh, if not, just let it go. Don't overwater it. That's the number one way we kill our houseplants. With too much water. Too much love. <laughs> uh, Texter says this, and you you have some interesting uh, 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 side notes about this, which is new to me. How much can you trim down a burning bush? My oh, barberry yes. bushes didn't do well last year. Should I cut them down, uh, way down now? Thank you. And what okay. were you just talking about? All right. So, um, uh, well, let's see. First of all, it div- if it didn't do well, you can cut down, uh, you can cut back a, uh, a burning bush. Yes, you can. So you can trim it back. Um, I wouldn't take more than a third of it off um, and definitely take out any dead branches for sure, anything that's broken. Um, Barberries are the same. You can cut those back uh, quite a bit. Um, The one thing to know about both of those plants, and I don't know what cultivar barberry you have, but uh, burning bush, we just got information from the Minnesota Department of Agriculture that six plants have been added to the noxious weed list, and the burning bush is one of those. Mm. Now, that's the Euonymus elatus. That's the winged Euonymus. Uh, it's a pretty common landscape plant. And what uh, It became added to the specially regulated section of the noxious weed list, and that means that it is not going to be uh, available for sale or propagation uh, or transport. Now, that does not mean that you, d- that you ha- have to take them out. So, uh, and all euonymus, I do not believe, or I think it's just the euonymus elatus. 
We have an article in our Yard and Garden News, which is our uh, newsletter that comes out every two weeks. And you can read more about these plants. And uh, that is, you can subscribe to the Yard and Garden News. Uh, just go to our Yard and Garden uh, webpage at extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden, and it's the first link on the homepage of our Yard and Garden. So are they just kind of aggressive, like a buckthorn, or what? yeah? Well, what they what what happens is that you start to find some of these plants. They seed euonymus. Some people's never do, but some people uh, see seed, and they uh, are transported by birds a lot of times, and they seed into naturalized areas. So if you're out, let's say you're out in the spring, and you're out looking at, uh, let's say you're going morel mushrooming. <laughs> which I like to do in the spring, and you're looking at all the beautiful wildflowers, the hepatica and the trout lilies and the trilliums, and you're hunting for morels, and all of a sudden you come across a euonymus. Now, as a gardener, I would stop and think, that's weird. What's a euonymus, a typical landscape ornamental, doing in the naturalized woods? Well, being that I am, I would pull it up, get rid of it. But, um, but that's what we're finding, barberry, the common barberry, some of the seedier varieties of barberries are also on the list, uh, the cultivars, because we have found that they are escaping into naturalized areas. And that's a big mm-hmm. red flag for uh, the MDA and for, um, for you know, growers in general is, is that these plants are too seedy. They're moving out of ornamental managed landscapes into naturalized landscapes, and we don't want that to happen. So uh, they tend to outcompete other plants. It's buckthorn is a, another one that came in as a hedge plant many, many, many years ago, uh, and uh, and now it's all over, and it's not supposed to be there. And the birds really help out. In yeah, that the birds yeah. help a lot. Yep, the female plants uh, produce these uh, fruits that are cathartic. In fact, the plant's name is Ramnus cathartica. There's also a glossy uh, buckthorn, and uh, and so they move those plants around a lot. And uh, and that that is a that's a real problem, and um, and so we want to keep those plants under control. So that's why they go onto those lists, not because everybody hates them or people are mad at the plants or anything. It's because they've they've developed over time and they become too they're seedy and the seeds get into. But if you've got areas. them, you don't have to get rid of them. That's right. You do yeah. not have to pull them out. Okay. But we would recommend it. Did All I, right. Did I go on and on? No, no, no. That was a very, very interesting <laughs> information. I did not but uh, hear about that. But read it on our Yard and Garden news, and you can subscribe to that and get an alert every two weeks when we come up with new information. Here is another text, Julie. It says, my wife has a fiddly fig for about eight months now, and recently it's been losing some leaves. She read online that this certain plant goes dormant during the winter. Is that true? First question. I don't know about that. Okay. Yep. Also recently, after losing leaves, it's been showing signs of new growth. So I'm wondering if this is normal or does she have something to worry about? Um, I'm guessing that it's normal. Um, remember that we're growing houseplants in completely fake environments, artificial environments for those plants. And sometimes they will drop their leaves, their leaves age, or they drop them and they produce new leaves that are more adapted to the environment that they're growing in. So... Um, so that's probably what it's doing. As long as you see new growth coming, that's great. I would not worry too much. But do be careful about watering. Michael and Blaine is calling uh, up on the show. Michael, you're on CCO with Julie. Good morning. Morning. I have, um, we have uh, some shrubs that, of course, were damaged from the winter last year and didn't survive through the summer. And um, they're quite old. They're pushing 20 years old. So the roots are deep. Now, I don't have a four-wheeler or anything that, to really dig them out. 
Uh, is there a particular tool that I could ask for at a rental facility that would be used to help, you know, pull or wrench those things out? Because I know the roots are going to be deep. What kind of shrubs are they? Oh, they're the red ones that were had the kind of the needle stickers on them. Oh, the barberry. They're all, they're all perennials, yeah. Yep. Uh, what are those mock orange? Had a couple orange. of those. Yep. And uh, so there's all of those are going to get replaced with uh, perennials that flower. Okay. So. All right. So um, the only tool that I can think of that you might be able to use is one that we actually use for pulling uh, buckthorn roots out, buckthorn stumps, and you can rent them. So I would talk to a rental center and ask them. I'm sure that there's something there that you can rent. And I think that that might be the same tool for any. I don't, it's not exclusive to buckthorn, um, but it's been particularly helpful for, for removing buckthorn stumps. And I imagine that you might be able to use it also for those plants as well. All right. Thanks, Michael. 651-989-9226 is the phone number and the text number. Speaking of which... Tex says, I removed some icy snow from boxwood, and the leaves were already browning. Should I spray with an anti-desiccant tomorrow? No, it's, it's too, too late to yeah. spray with anything. Uh, that's, I don't think that that's going to help at all. So um, good you got the icy snow off, that's for sure, because that can break branches. That's worse than the, the leaves can rejuvenate, but once you, those branches break off, it takes a long time for it to grow a new branch. So. Um, just kind of keep an eye on it. And in the spring, you know, if it gets, if it, if, if the weather isn't cooperating, then be sure that you're watering it well so that it, it can move into uh, kind of deacclimate into the spring, uh, kind of, uh, get ready for summer and active growth and look for those green buds on there too. Texas says, I have a house plant. When I water it, little white things in the soil seem to come alive and start moving. I only see them when watering. No sign of them between watering and can't see them on the surface. Should I just get rid of the plant or is there a treatment? I do know my plants, but no, it is a common household plant. Okay, so if they are crawling in the soil, they could be a, um, a springtail, I think, or they could, which is a teeny tiny little insect. Um, if they're flying, they might be white flies or thrips. If they are, uh, they could be fungus gnats. That'd be more like a fruit fly, though. There would I wouldn't call them white. They're black. Um, the important thing is to find out what the insect is first. And you can, if you can get a photo or even a video or something, and you can send it to Ask a Master Gardener, which you can find the link to that on our extension site, and see if we can help you identify it. That would be the best thing to do. Okay. What is the latest date to trim oak trees? Uh, up until April 1st. Oh, okay. Yes. And we have a, there's a great blog at the U called My Minnesota Woods. And it has a actual little meter on the f- homepage that shows the risk for oak wilt, which is what the caller or the texture is asking about because uh, oak wilt is most the high risk period is April through June, and uh, and so yes, you can now is very low risk time because it's winter. This is a good time you could do any kind of pruning on your oaks, but you can go to my Minnesota Woods too and check out that meter. Very good. Can you save? Texter says your amaryllis bulb from year to year. Yes, absolutely. Mine, I've had mine for several years now. Uh, you can continue to grow them just in their pot. Uh, put them outside in a kind of semi-shady location. 
uh, in the spring and let them grow through the summer on your deck or patio. You can plant them in your garden bed and then dig them up uh, or, or bring the pots in before freeze. And we have an excellent mm-hmm. publication to tell you more about how to manage those plants for the, um, throughout the year. And that is on our extension site at extension.umn.edu and go to houseplants. That's under amaryllis. Great website. We'll tell you about that uh, again before Julie leaves us. We need to take a quick break here. We have more show to come. If you will have a lawn or garden type of question, call it in or text it in. Same number, 651-989-9226. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show around every Saturday here in the 8 o'clock hour. Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is with us. You know, you, we haven't talked about a survey in yeah. quite some time, but there's something that our listeners can get involved with. Yeah, we always like to hear about our listeners, and um, and so we created a survey. It's been out there for not quite a year now, and the link to it is on our extension page, our Yard and Garden page. And we, it asks a lot of questions about what you hear on the show, what you've learned on the show, uh, where you're listening from, that kind of thing. So uh, we just like to hear about that and learn more about our listeners so we can, uh, you know, do a better job and maybe address issues that people have a lot of questions about and uh, just to kind of kind of know what uh, what people are thinking. So we'll have some input on the yeah, show. To yeah, to have some input. And, uh, and so that link is on extension.umn.edu. It is on our Yard and Garden homepage. And it is right under, the, right at the beginning where you say, read the Yard and Garden News, listen to Smart Garden. That's where you can actually listen to the podcast, too. And then it says, complete the Smart Garden survey and win a copy of Mary Meyer's book, 10 Plants That Changed That's a Minnesota. fun book, too. Yeah. So uh, that is, uh, we would love it if people would do that and hear more from you. That's always great. So please answer it if you have a few minutes. And you can also call or text on the show, as usual. Yes. And we have a bunch of those. Let's do this. All Uh, right. Is it better, Texas, is to use filtered water to water my houseplants, or can I just use city tap water? Well, city tap water sometimes has additions to it, things like fluoride and chlorine, et cetera. And and so we always recommend for houseplants that if you use distilled water or spring water, or reverse osmosis water, that's the water that when you go to the grocery store, you have your plastic gallon jug and you put it under the, they have the water station there that you can fill it up with. That literally has nothing in it. And so uh, in all these cases, you want to add then a little bit of fertilizer to that, just a weak solution, mm-hmm. about half strength maybe. And, um, and yeah, and that's always recommendation. If you have rainwater that you collect, that's always great for houseplants too. So um, city water, some plants are fine with it, no problem, but some plants have a real issue with it. It can burn tips and, and dry out the leaves. And so, uh, right. yeah, we always recommend spring water, distilled water, reverse osmosis water, rainwater. Melt your snow if you like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> say, did you say, Dexter says, is it okay to lightly trim an ash tree now in the winter and do nothing to the trim part remaining on the tree, like no painting? Yes, yeah. We don't recommend painting wounds anymore unless a, a damage happens during a high-risk period. Like we talked about the oak tree, the high risk for oak wilt is April through June. Let's say we had a storm in May, big branch came off. Then we might recommend that you paint that wound. But... For routine pruning, and you're pruning now in the middle of winter, the tree is dormant, the insects that, that uh, or pathogens that may 
you know, infect anything, are dormant. And, uh, and so, yes, now is a good time to plant. And do not, you do not need to paint it. The plant will heal faster. If you don't. If you don't. Yeah. Right. I recently purchased, uh, Texter says, and you've got to help me with this, an orchid. But is it a Cymbidium orchid? Yes. How do I Very properly good. care? That's two years of Latin that helped me out. <laughs> How do I properly care for this orchid in Minnesota to set blooms? All right. So orchids, um, symb- I, I, to be honest, have not had much luck with cymbidiums. They're beautiful. I had one once uh, that I got for uh, Valentine's Day from Carl. It was beautiful. Uh, did not make it in my house. Didn't I? I just not a good uh, location for it. But uh, the important thing about um, orchids is that you want to allow them to drain well. You do not want to overwater them, and you want to give them the right amount of light. And uh, so a cymbidium, I think, would do best by a kind of bright window. Uh, I think uh, it also would just, you just need to make sure that whatever container it's in, that it drains well. And like we mentioned earlier about watering, I would water it with a not not tap water. I'd water it with a spring water or um, distilled water or reverse osmosis water and a little bit of fertilizer, especially when it's blooming. Okay. Uh, Texas says, my clump birch are leaning toward the ground from the heavy wet snow we got. Will they spring back in shape eventually? Well, if they have, if they still have heavy snow on them, uh, I'm guessing it's probably melted or would be melted by the end of this weekend. Um, you would want to remove any heavy snow from any plants that are bending from the weight of it. Uh, hopefully, if if they were upright before and the snow has just tipped them over, they will probably bounce back once the uh, weather warms up and the sun, you know, is more prevalent. So uh, you just keep an eye on those. Um, and let them bounce back naturally. Don't stake them back necessarily. Um, but, yeah, just keep an eye on those. And anytime you have mature plants on your landscape and you have a question about them, a certified arborist is a really good investment. And you can find those uh, folks at uh, – we have a website, a webpage called How to Hire a Certified Arborist or Tree Professional, I guess we call it. And that's on our tree and shrub section of the extension.umn.edu under Yard and Garden. We have a lot of good uh, great. arborists around here. We have here. great arborists. Yep. Great arborists in Minnesota. Texter says this, Julie, the vine is thriving, but I haven't had uh, ever had grapes on our vines. What do we need to do? Well, uh, sometimes if you're pruning them too late, you are pruning off the buds. So that's one thing. Uh, I have done that before when I have missed pruning, and I get out there and I start pruning, and pretty soon I hardly have any grapes at all. So I am speaking from experience there. So be sure that you're pruning it before the buds break. That means before the buds actually start to open up. And uh, you want to go. You want to go back to. Uh, you don't want to leave too much growth on the plants uh, because they will actually put out. Um, uh, they they do better if you if you do cut them back. But you have to cut them back at the right time, so that on the new growth they can produce the uh, fruiting. Uh, the flowers and the fruit. The other thing, too, is to make sure they're in enough sun because if they're shaded, that's this is a full sun plant, and if they're shaded, they're not going to produce much. So uh, I, uh, I'm going to send you back to the website to our uh, fruit section this time, and we do have a good uh, bit of information on pruning grapes, including some videos that our grape or our fruit person, our fruit educator, Annie Claude, uh, put together last year. So very helpful to watch the video. She'll explain exactly what to do.
I'm not sure you might know this, but I think Mary, the last time she was here, mentioned we were talking about seed catalogs. And she mentioned an Italian seed catalog. Oh, Italian seeds. Is yeah, that what it's called? Was me. Yeah, oh, seeds, was of, you? seeds of Italy. It's All right. Called. That was that. The question is, what was the name oh, of the Italian catalog? They asked that last time I was on, and they had missed it. Yeah, it, I think it's just called Seeds of Italy. Seeds of Italy. There you go. It's kind of cool. It's a little catalog. Kind of neat. Here's another text. Julia says, "I totally wrapped a young arborvitae three foot in burlap for protection this winter. When should I remove the burlap?" You should remove that. Um, Probably, I would say, in March or so. Uh, you know, you're going to start to see some. You can peek inside there and see if you start to see any new growth. You want to definitely uh, open it up so that it can photosynthesize and, and start getting some sunlight and start growing and, and setting some buds and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so I would say you could probably, you know, safely remove it in March or so. All right. When is a good time to lower or trim honeysuckle hedge? You're thinking seven to five feet. Oh, let's see. Well, with a let's see, a honeysuckle hedge that is a spring blooming. You could you could you could prune it after it blooms. That's a summer blooming shrub, I think. I'm trying to think. Um, normally, if it's a spring blooming shrub, as a rule of thumb, you want to prune it after it blooms. Like a lilac, for example, is a spring blooming shrub. So you would prune that within a couple of weeks after the blooms have, are are faded. With a summer blooming plant. You can prune that at the beginning of spring. So if it's a honeysuckle that blooms later in the summer, you can you can prune that in the in the winter. You can prune it when the weather warms up and the and the snow is gone. Uh, that's fine too, because that plant I think is going to bloom on new growth. All right. Is the composted cow manure you buy at nurseries in the bag, is that good composted manure fine? What about adding worm castings? That that compost is fine. Uh, the important thing about any kind of animal manure is that it's well composted. And usually the my experience has been that the packaged uh, thing, that that's mm-hmm. been professionally composted down in large, large piles and large professional locations, and then bagged up. So it should be well composted. You don't want to use fresh manure because it can burn your plants. It's just too high in nitrogen and too hot, quote-unquote. We've got a lot of different uh, My questions today. this is a lot of variety. No, a variety <laughs> is the word. Uh, here's a, is a, a planting a tree question. Have heard digging a square hole versus a round one when planting a tree. Any? Yeah, so... Uh, when you plant a tree, you want to look for the root flare of the tree. That's uh, the point at which the the uh, bottom of the trunk flares out to the main roots. You want to make sure that those are above the soil. And, yes, they're, they're actually correct. A wider versus deeper hole is important. In fact, you can have a flat-bottomed hole, and, but make it wider because tree roots don't necessarily grow down. They grow out. Okay. And, again, visit our website. We've got a good pruning diagram there for you. I've printed out the rest of the uh, text for you oh, just for you your uh, for your leisure time, <laughs> if you have any. And again, uh, let's do this reminder to get to the Arboretum yep. the month Flower of February. Show starts today. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Be sure, if you didn't get your questions answered, to visit extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden. And you can also send photos and questions to Ask a Master Gardener available on that site. What if you want to get involved in that survey? Go to that. Uh, go to our uh, Yard and Garden page, and it's about right at the top of the page under the podcast for the show. If you missed the show, you can listen up on the podcast. Excellent. Julie, always a pleasure. Thanks. Ditto. Come on in. <laughs> for coming in today, Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.